With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Ham and High podcast. My name is Frankie Listerfeld, and my guest this week is the activist, writer, and campaigner, Selma James. Her long history of anti-racist campaigning for women's rights has put caring on the agenda. Selma coined the term unwaged work when she started the Wages for Housework campaign in 1972. Three years later, she helped set up the Crossroads Women's Centre, which is now in Kentish Town and is where we are speaking today. It's the longest-standing women's centre in London, and Crossroads provides a base for grassroots groups campaigning for the rights of women of colour, sex workers, LGBTQ plus people and asylum workers, amongst others. On International Women's Day this year, Kentish Town Sheepsort was renamed Selma James on a map created by writer Rennie Edder-Lodge and actress Emma Watson and developed online by University College London. But today we're here to talk about Selma's Wages for Housework campaign, which this year celebrates its 50th anniversary. Selma James, it's so lovely to meet you. 50 years ago in 1972, you co-founded the Wages for Housework campaign. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what inspired you to start that campaign? Well, um, in fact, I put it forward first and I wasn't sure of what it meant really, but I knew that there were two things about what women were suffering that this addressed and one of them was poverty Mm. and secondly we were often financially dependent and those of us who were single mothers for example they had some time in this country they were able to have enough to get by on from the government that's gone now Mm. they've cut that But at that time, the difference between women who were single mothers on benefit and wives was very striking because the single mothers were poorer but were freer. And that was part of what was in my mind about when you have money of your own, you're in a different league. You, you have a different life. Your whole life is shaped by the fact that you are not dependent on a man. And sometimes he might be very nice, but sometimes he's not, and you're still stuck with it. And um, it, it just meant another level of power and another level of freedom. When the women's movement began, it was single mothers who came running. They had 
they put their kids on their back and went to Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp and to do other things that the women's movement needed doing. And I don't think they ever got the recognition, or at least at that time they didn't, for how much they did. But it was really, it was really an education. At the same time, I had been in the U.S. Um, on a on a holiday, really, a few weeks, go just seeing friends, and I fell upon the welfare rights movement in the U.S., which was, again, single mothers organizing to have money of their own from the government. And they really were much clearer. Um, I don't know that. I'm not sure that's true, that they were clear. They were very clear that this was for caring that they were doing for their children and that they had a right to this money. And one of them even wrote and said, if I were president would give every woman um, an income. I would give them wages for housework. And she wrote that, and that was in Ms. Magazine. I didn't see it then. I saw it later. But that was clearly in the air in the two countries that I most related to at that time. And so when I put it forward, and a lot of feminists were very hostile and said it would institutionalize women in the home. I never understood that argument because women were institutionalized in poverty in the home. Mm. Women were there dependent and this was, uh, it was as though women didn't know what to do with money. What they did was to spend it on things that were needed and also on their own moving in the society. And so the more we debated it, the more it was opposed, the more I understood about it and how it was dealing with all the problems that as women in a movement were faced with. I mean, the question of rape, um, the, the question of domestic violence, all of these questions were financial, first of all, financial questions. And the question of uh, sex work, because when we began the campaign, the sex workers were there within it. And it meant that they had an income. Women said, I'm on the game, as was often said, that I'm on the game because this means that I can be with my child for most of the time caring for my child or children and then I have an income where I don't have to kowtow to any man and uh, I have that financial independence but still time for my children. Mm. There were many things that confirmed that what I had said and what by that time, what a couple of us were saying, a few of us, that it had a resonance, I think that's the right word, in women's lives. Mm. What were the challenges then that you faced at that time? So you were saying it was kind of other feminists and women who weren't convinced by the idea that they should be paid for their housework. Were there any other challenges 
outside of that sphere that that campaign faced back when it started? Well, on the one hand, we were immediately plunged into a wages for housework struggle because at the same time that I put that forward or within weeks, the government announced they were going to take family allowance away from women and give it to put it in the men's pay packet, as it was referred to then. And one woman said, this is wages for housework, we'll defend it. And we immediately got some women, just announced that we were forming a family allowance campaign. And there it was, women said this is the only money they could call their own. And they really were upset when they heard that the government was taking it. On the other hand, we had to build a movement, we had to build an organization, and there weren't any organizations around that we wanted to duplicate. There were no models. We wanted a women's campaign. We wanted a campaign that allowed mothers to be involved and women who went out to work to say what they wanted, and that lesbian women were were welcome in it and that was really new at that time because there was a lot of feeling among women uh, feminists who were really worried that if they were organizing with women who were lesbian that they would um, be that the movement would be shunned Mm. and denigrated by the media and all the rest we said we are for all women Um, First of all, I was anti-racist. I had been in the independence and federation movement in the West Indies. My husband was a Trinidadian, but I had always been anti-racist. And we had to understand that the situation of women internationally really was what we had to address and we had to have an international campaign. And you can't built an international if you're a racist, because an international is by its nature multiracial, anti-racist. And we had to build that kind of movement, you know, or campaign uh, with those those aspirations. I didn't know how to do it, so, but we tried. And after, You know, as the discussions went on and the debate was furious, they really told us, in a way, what we had to do. Uh, I can't explain that, but I, first of all, I saw that the left was not happy with us. They didn't like us to, you know, they didn't mind after a while women organizing independently. But they thought to embrace men and everybody in the working class, well, women couldn't do that. That's what men did. Men incorporated women. Women didn't incorporate men. Well, we did, and they were furious. And so We said, this is not the kind of organization we want to build. And there was a lot of things about, about, um, about leadership 
and the perks of leadership that we didn't want. But we did want points of reference. We did want to acknowledge the women who showed the way and who, whose experience as lesbian women, for example, or as black women or women of color generally, you know, what they had to say was important and not only important, but vital. It, it had to be part of what we all stood for. And so we developed, when, when a lesbian group from Canada, in fact, wanted to join the Canadian Wages for Housework group and stay together as a group, we thought about it and we said yes. But not to be separatists, not to once you come in and you're part of us, you have to represent everybody in the campaign. It may not be your focus, but it must be who you are and what you do and whose views and whose struggles you consider and respect and work for. Yeah. And that was our conception of autonomy. You know, I write about this in the book. I told the story in the book of building the autonomy within the campaign, which I think is useful if women want to consider, and men want to consider how they're organizing and may mm. want to look at what we've done and see yeah. if that suits them. We built an organization which I had never seen, none of us had ever seen, and we did build an organization that was really different. We had leadership, but not leaders in the, in the usual sense of that word. And we respected the women who were not in our group. That was very, very important. And we respected every experience that women brought in the, from their own lives. And in fact, you know, I saw how groups invited this expert and that uh, academic to talk to them. We didn't have that. We had panels of women we knew or who were part of our group to say what their story was, what their struggle was, how they worked out, you know, the problems that they faced as women. Uh, and they were, you know, the truth is extraordinary. You know, we had a panel, it was fantastic. It was riveting. Mm. It was different. Each woman had a different take and a different way of expressing her views. They were brief, they were to the point, and they were the truth. And you know, the truth sounds different from every theory you've ever heard. The truth that of people's lives is unbeatable as, as education, as, I don't want to say entertainment because it sounds frivolous, but I mean as ability to, uh, to enlarge and, and keep you engrossed. It was everything. And it was so astonishing that women from many different walks of life and countries and a couple of different languages, three or four languages, with translation and the rest, that they agreed with each other. You know, they had a similar outlook, and that was itself a great education. We can be together. 
we do have an experience that we share in different ways and individually. But we can be together and we can overcome the, all the differences among us, not to, uh, not to um, ignore the differences, but to address them in ways that, that everybody's story is told and everybody's story is on everybody else's agenda. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. since you started that campaign has it been successful in your eyes and what else is there to do for women and unwaged carers it has done a number of things and that i think on balance would make it successful it has put caring on the agenda you know the discussion of people are having a discussion about caring in large measure not only because of us, but in large measure, they find a lot of the words for it because we've said it and many women in many places have said it. And that that work has been measured and valued, for example, by Oxfam. We were the first ones to measure. We, we went to the UN and we said our work, our unremunerated work, they called it. You know, they always have a big word for a big thing. Um, uh, our unremunerated work must be counted. That's where we began. You have to count it. And we said, women count, count women's work. But then we said, that is not good enough. We went to the next conference and we said, we want it measured. How much is there? and valued, how much would we be paid if we were paid for all of it? So we lobbied to be measured and valued, and the work we want, the unremunerated work we wanted counted was in the home, on the land, and in the community. And the on the land especially was important for the global south where women often grow the food that the family survives on. You know, it was 80% of the food eaten in Africa grown by women. Now it's only 70%, but it's still up there. A lot of people have had to go to the countries, to go to the city for various reasons, including ecological devastation. But 70% of the food eaten in consumed in Africa is grown by women and that work did not appear on any accounts and women were considered not to be working and without them they would have all starved to death and we were furious at that and said so and we found an echo in a number of the um, 
government delegations because they had to bring women. This was the women's decade, so they had to like bring tokens, but they were not tokens with us. They were real women who responded. They knew exactly what we were talking about and they were on our side. And the question was how much power could they exercise in the delegation? And a couple of them took their lives in their hands and said, I want to make one little change in that paragraph 120, just a little change. They put our stuff in and it was passed. We celebrated because this was, this was an international acknowledgement of what women were doing and that it was work and basic, fundamental work. And how do you think the pandemic has changed society's opinion of unwaged work? Has it made situations for women worse or has it made it better? You know, that's always a difficult question because both are true. It has been made it better because that work is now visible. People know that without carers, we would none of us have survived uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, it's more work. You know, that's, that's what we women have uh, you know, if you look at 50 years, that's what you have to say about all 50. We know more, we're more acknowledged, we know the arguments, we share them on an international level that caring really matters and that caring is life-giving, life-affirming, and we can't do without it. A baby doesn't start to work on the assembly line or get a degree you know, the moment it's born, it needs careful. And what is more important than that caring? Why isn't society focused on that? Why isn't there even time to breastfeed? The women have to go back to work. Why isn't there a paid time for women to introduce the new life to the society and to herself just to find out who that little person is. Uh, and um, so, you, but that hasn't changed. That is the structure of the society has not improved, but the people in the society have changed. Women have changed. Women expect more. Women know much more about what they have a right to and demand it when they can. And I was very struck by the, um, by the movement for, for pay equity that went through the BBC and through other big organizations. Women knew that they were entitled to pay equity and many of them found different ways of fighting for it outside of the limelight. But in general, it was established that we have a right to it, but we still don't get it. And we can't get it as long as so much of our time is unwaged. Because once we are carers, once we are caring, we, are, we have long periods of our life which are unwaged and which bring down our, our, um, our earning power. And do you think a capitalist structure is ultimately what 
creates that environment where caring work is considered not worth money. Um, in terms of whether it's worth money, is it? Yes. In general, women under capitalist society are not. Nobody thinks it's wrong for women to do that work unwaged, except women, and increasingly, and a lot of men really go along with it too now. But that's happened over the years. We've seen that. And there's a men's group that works with us called Payday, and they formed very early in those 50 years because they agreed with what we were saying and because they understood immediately, even with the family allowance campaign, we were fighting for them because they wanted to take family allowance away and put it in men's pay packet. But if men went on strike, they wouldn't get it. And if men were ill and had to go into, go to um, what you get paid, you know, Ill, sickness benefit, mm. they wouldn't get it. And we said, no, whatever is happening, you know, illness, industrial action, you know, death, whatever, that money is the mother's money. We said it then. And in fact, that has been, you know, the part of the founding perceptive perception of, of one of the issues for women and mm. money. And so the Wages for Housework campaign was obviously very international, but I wanted to speak a bit about your local routes to the area. So we were saying earlier about how UCL recreated the tube map and put you as Kentish Town. So besides founding the Crossroads Centre, which is in Kentish Town and where we're speaking now, what are your other links to your area? I don't think it's changed very much since 95, but the women have got used to, the women in the area have got used to having the center and they come in regularly. There, were, there was this family who were a, 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 a black family who were attacked by their neighbors just down the road and they came to us and said, look, you know, this is what he did to me, my neighbor did to me, and the police dismissed it and all the rest, and we intervened. And we got an article in The Guardian, and it was called, Don't You Want to Know Why I'm Bleeding? Because the, the police said that her husband had done it. You know, she and her husband stood side by side and this neighbor is a racist and he's never treated us well and now he attacked my wife and they said it was him. That's terrible. You know, we had to fight it out, but they came to the center. That's mm. the point. They thought a woman who is attacked by a racist, she, she comes here because she knows that she'll get help here and mm. support for whatever she wants to do about it. Two women, one white and one black, went there from Women Against Rape and Black Women's Rape Action Project at the time, although they've merged now. Those two women went there, found out what was happening, and went to the police and said, this is you, this is the man you 
have to arrest him. They didn't believe it at first, but they got the message that we were not going to go away because we don't walk away when we are turned down. A couple of the women from the neighborhood joined us, are part of now working, you know, at the center in one way or another. And a lot of the work we do here, that's right, is the All African Women's Group meets here, and it's mainly African women, about a hundred women. Some meetings have been more than that every <laughs> other week, and, and but now it with the with the pandemic, we had to close that down. We do some work, uh, but we'll start up again. But women, Indian women, have been part of that group. West West Indian women, Caribbean people have been part of that group and they fight their case and they're trained about how to do their own papers and understand their own case and make their own case and we defend their right to make their own case. Nobody's going to tell anybody that we go with that she wasn't really raped. It's none of, we won't have that. You know, women tell the truth and the truth is usually only partial because there's some stuff that they can't even get themselves to speak about, but they tell some of the things that have happened to them and they, we work out how, you know, how to make sure that the government agent or bureaucrat deals with that. So we fight deportation cases and which are really completely unfair. And we also worked with, children, with women to get their children here because they've run and they've had to leave their children behind. And what are they worried about? Their children, They're not their case, but their children. We help them to make the case to bring their children so they're here yeah. with them finally. And finally, really, how did you feel when you were named as the Kentish Town Tube Stop on that interactive map by UCL? Well, I felt the whole centre had really been named and, um, and I, I was delighted. We really are at home here in Kentish Town. I mean, we have roots here now, people and practices, and we have the respect of a lot of people in the community because we are respectful of other people and uh, that's part of it. And they, they see that we're doing good work and that we're not the usual NGO to, you know, polish it up and make it look not too bad. And we don't, we, we try to win and we try, we, we use the method of collective self-help. That is, we work with women in a collective way, but they have to be ready to fight before we fight for them and with them. And I think that's one of the reasons that I got Kentish Town. <laughs> that, you know, I think it was really on the whole center, really. And it's not only this center, but the international um, network, which we're central to, the, you know, we've, started things off and they've moved and we've met brilliant and really women grassroots most of them although all women are welcome 
Thank you so much for speaking so eloquently <laughs> about everything. I mean, it's so impressive that you're still going and still organising and doing all this activism work, you know, even now after all these years. Thank you so much to Selma for speaking with me. And if you enjoyed this podcast, remember to hit subscribe and we'll be back soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.